This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. This is JG Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to the Ready Room, show number 141, as green-blooded as you can get. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Larry Nemechek. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including Star Trek The Exhibition's arrival at Mall of America, the fan art that became an actual book series in Star Trek Seekers, how you can share some Romulan L with Larry, Roberto Orsi's bid to direct the next film, and Terrace Cassidy pops in for a Geek Nation Tours update. Then in the feature, we're joined by Alec Peters and Tommy Kraft to discuss the Romulan War. So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Larry. It's great to have you back here with me on the Ready Room to co-host. I'm glad that my trap worked. I was able to capture you as you've been zipping around the country from convention to convention. I, uh, I set up a net and I and I caught a Larry. You got me in the cl- in the tractor web. Yeah, you sure did. I actually, <laughs> yes. I know it's just because you secretly enjoy saying "Hello, Larry" for anybody that's old enough to know what an insult that is. Um, <laughs> study your NBC bad sitcom history there for. Uh, background on that but yeah no it's fun to be back and uh you somehow you're a glutton for punishment you've got me roped in here for the entire evening so we'll see how it goes well i think listeners <laughs> will be very delighted because we always get great feedback when you're on the show oh okay well i know the self-deprecating thing works but i hate doing self-deprecation i'm so bad at it well let's let's go ahead and jump into the news here we have a few items today and then we're going to get into the feature where we're going to be joined by Alec Peters and by Tommy Kraft to talk about the Romulan War. I know, I can't wait. It's kind of a, a different ready room this week. We're not doing an episode. Uh, we do that occasionally where we'll branch off into a special topic, and that's what we're going to do today. But before we get to that, news came out this week, Larry, that Star Trek The Exhibition is going to be beaming to Mall of America in Minnesota, right there outside of Minneapolis. I think it's actually in a town called Bloomington. I've been there before. Have you ever been to Mall of America? I have not. That's one of my few. No, Minnesota, I I got to knock Michigan off my bucket list of states, I guess, when I got to go to a convention there, uh, Midwest Media Expo. So, But no, Minnesota is one of the ones I haven't got to, because I want to go see the Mary Tyler Moore statue. And I want to tour WJM Channel 12. (laughs) Kidding. No, I haven't got to, but I, I, you know, it's what it's still the biggest mall in America. Still, that was as claim far to fame, as I right? know. Yeah. I was there. It's been a while since I was there. Now it's been probably six years ago or so, and it's the only time I've ever been there. But I had always heard about it and how big it was. And I went in there, and I don't know. It's like you could get lost in there for weeks and not find your way out of that place. It is the Mall of America. I mean, you, know, you don't <laughs> yes. just earn a title like that for nothing. That's right. 
but it's a great place for Star Trek the Exhibition to land. You know, this this exhibition has typically gone to science museums or places like that. For it to really take center stage for the general public and raise awareness of Star Trek, I think Mall of America is just the absolute perfect destination for this. You you can't get much more all American than probably the Mall of America. <laughs> yeah, up in the upper. That's no, I true. mean uh, um, because I worked. On, what's amazing now it seems like another lifetime ago, but I worked on the original this tour exhibition when it was called Star Trek, the tour, and then they rebranded it Star Trek, the exhibition after the original owners sold it. And then, and the new people split it up basically and made one centered around the D bridge and one centered around the original series bridge. There was so much stuff in it. It was almost too big to find places to go into. So, um, right. and it's been, you know, off and on touring ever since. So, uh, yeah, if this is the tour with the Herman Zimmerman production design, video in it that's mine that was like my first little contribution to an enterprise thing so um i've got to see it a couple of times in other venues so i but i haven't seen it in four or five years so i'd be really curious to uh, to see it now but i hope everybody in minnesota goes out and supports it what do you consider the highlight of the exhibition apart from the herman zimmerman video that is your <laughs> well because that's what we're talking about wow <laughs> who put that together i'd love to uh there were no credits. Um, see, I'm a little hazy because I I don't know exactly which half of the, the exhibition this is, but either one of them, whichever bridge they have is cool to be on. Well, th- this one is going to have the reproduction of Kirk's chair. So this would okay. be the Okay, so this the is one, the, uh, the original series, the Kirk's bridge. bridge. Okay, yeah. very good. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And the different pieces. But they have original costumes, original props, some recreation props. And I think... There's enough of these to go in both the tours, but the simulator rides of various stripes. It's almost like now the experience is gone in Las Vegas. This is the next best thing you can actually do to um, right. to experience some hands-on Star Trek. You know, see it physically, uh, you know, in the flesh, and do a photo op on a bridge and and see things close up. So, but you're right, having it in a mall, aside from. Um, and however, however they set that deal up for, um, I don't know if there's separate admission or if it's just there for anybody to see. But however it was set up, or whatever the whatever the monetizing is for the you know the guys have to make some money out of it. Um, however it's set up, I, I, people have a great time, and it's great that it can come to your you know front, different people's living room, as it were, around the country, and you know you don't have to go to L.A. or New York or Vegas or someplace to see something. It's right there in your, in your lap, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mall of America is such a tourist destination, too, for people, not only from the States, but internationally as well, because of it being the, the as far as I know, still the largest mall in America. And if it's not the largest mall in America, it's still, you know, something to behold. Yeah. Well, I can't believe that the International Mall Licensing Board would still let them call it Mall of America. <laughs> Probably not. Well, this is going to be held in the EMS Exhibit Center in Mall of America. So I'm guessing that probably based on that, there's a bit of admission. Yes. Okay. There you go. Uh, there you go. Yeah. It's going to start this Friday after the show drops, May 16th, 2014 here. And it's going to be there for a while. So so go check that hopefully, out. Yeah. Hopefully everybody's thawed out up there after this horrible winter everybody's had. Yeah. You know, I think it's great because, so as as a husband, Star Trek geek, you want to go see Star Trek The Exhibition 
tell your wife, if your wife is like my wife, if you say, let's make a trip and go to Mall of America, they'll say, yeah, let's do that tomorrow. Let's book a flight tonight. <laughs> go there. So this is a great setup. And it's a twofer. Yeah. Yeah. You, yes. Yes. You've made your, yeah. They, uh, a terrace that does Geek Nation tours has a term for that. Like if you're trying to get, if you're trying to get your significant other to go with you on the tour, but they're not a fan, he calls it the parallel universe program or something where we find something for your, your SO to be doing if they don't really want to go around to all the sites. So, but yes, that's a, that's a great concept. Very smart savvy market. That's the concept. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and rumor has it that Terrace may be popping in later. So we will find out if he makes it here to the show or not. But before we do that, the next story that we have is about Star Trek Seekers this is the new book series yes, from yes. David Mack, Dayton Ward, Kevin Dilmore. This one is fascinating to me because this artwork was originally done by illustrator Rob Caswell as a fan project. And he did them like the old James Blish covers with the numbers, big numbers on them. And then David and Dayton and Kevin saw them and they were inspired by them. And they decided to turn Star Trek Seekers into an actual book series. And then they went and they, they told Pocket that we want Rob to do the covers. And here we are. And the, the first books are coming up here. The first one drops on July 22nd. Yeah, I did know. And as I heard about this unfolding, you know, and a lot of it was online. And some of the discovery was even online because that's where he was putting his stuff up. And then we'd talk about that. And yeah. I know, you know, the guys, we... This is such a cool story to see because we live in a time when there are so few Star Trek stories to get people excited, you know, to the point where every fan film, you know, every every tour, every whatever that comes along, it's exciting for everybody and, and good reason. But we're people are people are hungry for Star Trek. And when there's a cool fan to professional story like this, you know, it makes it very hands on, very grassrootsy. And it's you know, it, it's a cool story. And I know that you know, Dayton, Kevin, and David were kind of quasi looking for another excuse to keep the string of, um, you know, Vanguard-ish feel <laughs> kind of going along yeah. a little bit in that same vein. So uh, I don't know that it would take a whole lot, but no, Rob's Rob's illustrations were uh, were very iconic. And it, it's almost like the last few years with the Juan Ortiz posters and some of the posters that uh, Charity has at Bye Bye Robot. There's a lot of, and, and all that being licensed even. It's like we've had this, it's part of the same thing, and and it's a hell of a lot easier to do a cover and a poster than it is to do a fan film, but or a podcast series, huh? But well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> right. They're all their own thing, but we've almost yeah. had this kind of explosion or even renaissance in book covers and interpretive posters and interpretive artwork. You know, some of it harking back to you know, like like the Ortiz covers were about episodes, but these are this is an homage to the Blish covers. And uh, there may be a whole yeah. generation of people that don't even know about those, but uh, but the original books. I think there is, yeah. Okay, well, I hope yeah. so. I mean, some of our newer fans may have to, you know, if that's not looked at as an old thing, but it's it's the original series novelizations, to put it in modern terms. But no, it, the whole story is just very cool and how it came about. And uh, it's a little bit like um, uh, uh, Sean that did the uh, won the Titan contest and then wound up seeing the Titan. Yeah, used Sean Taranjo. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. to you having that used in official sources. So, uh, you know, good for mm -hmm. Rob and good for, you know, all the guys getting these books out and good for all the, all the book fans. 
because I know they'll they'll be great. Another interesting point on this is that the Rob's original artwork was like the James Blish cover series where it had the ship and it had the number, the big number on there, like Star Trek 1, Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3. And uh, David Dayton and Kevin wanted to stick with that as well. They wanted to just have Seekers 1, Seekers 2, Seekers 3. Now, you'll notice that the first Seekers book is actually called Second Nature, and the second one is called Point of Divergence. And this came about ultimately because in modern marketing and book sales, Pocket said, well, we, we really need to have titles on the books to put them on the shelves and, and to actually distribute them the way. So so the guys kind of reluctantly, I guess, agreed to give titles to the books. But the concept is still very much the old numbers, like the Blish covers. And, and they do still have the big numbers in the artwork. And then, then the, the title is down there at the bottom, kind of small across the bottom. Yeah. I was going to say, if you really wanted a pure... I mean, I... Now that you say that, I remember that happening. I was going to say what they do then is they sell the add-on kit where you can take a sticker and stick it on the front of your box. After you've proven your <laughs> worth as a fan who's smart enough to overcome the crass <laughs> memes about modern-day marketing, then you can stick your own original cover that you know, Rob does. With, you know, you could put your own original bullish light cover on, but but it sounds like they got to they got to mm. retain the, the vibe. Speaking of covers also, and you mentioned kind of a renaissance in, in cover design, we were talking the other day and you were telling me that you're getting ready to go over to Germany for FedCon. Yes, and yeah. I told you, make sure you go in the bookstore and check out the German covers of the Star oh, Trek right, novels right, right. because they yes. have just fantastic covers. Well, that, it's really weird how sometimes the international end of licensees, they're, they're given a lot of carte blanche on packaging and on certain you know, certain items like the the DVD, the old original DVD sets were so much cooler. They were so much better packaged, more original, more creatively packaged in Europe yeah. than they were in the States, the first generation or two of, mm-hmm. of DVDs. And because anytime, you know, Americans never see that, but if they got, did get a chance and with the internet now, you and, and websites carrying every angle, you know, the last 10 years or so, people did get a chance to see that and go, hey, why don't we get that? That's much cooler than it. So no, so that is um, that. No, but you—you you t- I had no idea that was going on. So now I'm all. Um, I can't wait to see. I mean, I you can spy a few of them online, but I can't wait to. Uh, yeah. To go snag some. It just—it just amazes to me how how we can have that kind of differentiation. But it's—it's it's just the way the business works. Yeah. But. Right, right. They're really nice, and they're really uniform too. When you line them up on the shelf, I mean, it's very. Various like precise German precision. I was going to say it's in Star Trek these are books. Germans. You say <laughs> I'm so shocked with <laughs> the precision. Yeah. Yes. So last point on here for those wondering, you know, what is Seekers about? Uh, the basic premise is the Taurus Reach. Uh, by the way, Larry, is the Taurus Reach on your star map? So is it going to be on the next edition? I think we put the Taurus Reach on, or we we indicated. Now you've got me thinking. I do remember it came up because I think one of the guys, I think, okay. I think Dayton may have even kidded me because the old Starbase 47 Vanguard is on the map. Yeah. Is on the maps. Okay. And then, of course, they yelled at me because it was supposed to be like a, it was supposed to be like a uh, dissolved and not, not, re- not to be remembered publicly bit. But I was like, well, that was at the time and 200 years went by and now the Freedom of Information, the Federation. It's been declassified. Yeah, now. it's been declassified. Yeah, now. yeah. yeah. But no, we did have, because uh, they, they had specifically 
since uh, since David specifically found exactly where it was going to be located, and they wrote to that, and and it makes total sense because that was between the Tholians and Klingons, down in the mm-hmm. down about the Tierra del Fuego of two dimensional Klingon map making or Federation <laughs> map making, uh, the lower South Atlantic. Um, no, no. So it was it was fun to put that in, and I remember talking about the Taurus Reach then, and we figured out about where it would be because that because this is based off of Jeff's maps from 2003 and that's what they worked from so so yeah it's definitely okay definitely yeah so the taurus reach once the conquered realm of a powerful alien species this region remains largely shrouded in mystery even as it brims with potential for exploration and colonization the federation has sent in two of its finest ships on a quest to uncover the secrets it may yet hold so that's the premise of Seekers, and um, I know they've already been picked up for at least four books, and these these are going to be short books. So sit down one one session, read through. It's kind of an, kind of an homage to the old days, as we're talking about with the mm-hmm. with the Blish mm-hmm. novelizations. So there, so but there are like one one story per book. It's not like one story per book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. the later. So the so later it's book. it is different than the novelizations, but it's not like. It's not like the heavily serialized books that we've been getting over the past few years right. when it comes to the expanded universe. These are just bite-sized pieces. Very cool. And That's the two right. ships, the Sagittarius and the Endeavor, I guess, as well. That's right. Are the yeah. ships, yeah. Oh, they're, they're totally sister ships. They're even the part one member part in their registry numbers. That's right. The NCC-1894 Sagittarius and the 1895 Endeavor. Right before the turn of the century in Starships. Okay. <laughs> All right. So so watch for these books. Again, as I mentioned, Seekers 1, Second Nature drops on July 22nd, and then Seekers 2, Point of Divergence, will drop on August 26th. Well, Larry, the next thing we have up here is about Geek Nation Tours, which is, of course, the tour that you take oh, I've heard of them around. Yeah, you, you've been <laughs> on there before, haven't you? I heard. I've, I talked to that guy a couple of times. Yeah, there's this guy named Terrace Cassidy who puts this stuff together, and um, I, I hear something there. Terrace, are you on the line with us right now? Go ahead, caller. How are you guys tonight? Oh, I always <laughs> wanted to say that. We're doing well, Terrace. Thanks for joining us. Quickly here, um, we understand that the, the tour, uh, you've moved it now to uh, like a biannual event, right? So you're going one year, and then you're off a year. This is the year that you're back on. We should say it's the L.A. to Vegas that's right. Hollywood Trek film site tour. Oh, that's true. Yes. Because Terrace has several tours. It's not the Samurai tour, which we were talking about on the other side of the room. That is true. And yeah. Oh, you had, you had another side of the room without me? Wow. Okay. Great. Now, this is the capital T Trek tour. So, Terrace, tell us about the tour. Uh, what's coming up? How many seats do you have left? You know, what can people expect on this? Sure. Uh, well, uh, there's, uh, there's plenty of seats left. Uh, uh, we're going strong though. We're, we're really happy with the bookings that we have so far. Uh, we're headed out, of course, right to LA. And, uh, we're gonna go straight to, uh, from, from the restaurant. We're gonna go straight to, uh, to into Star Trek and, uh, go to Sir Rock Luffin's, uh, restaurant and, and hang out there and, and start our explorations of that very day. So we're really excited about it. Uh, we started on the 26th of July and, and uh, yeah, there's there's tons to do. Uh, Larry, uh, what 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 are your highlights? Uh, I'll give you I'll give a couple of my highlights. Well, I was going to say the 
this is the second time we've done the tour. First time was the debut year, and we've made some tweaks. Um, yeah, we go to the the famous and the infamous uh, their lines for for you uh, Mel Brooks fans. Uh, but um, Sir Rock Lofton's is the welcome dinner, and we go to Griffith Observatory. All the places are Trek film sites, but they're also cool tourist places to go to, and some of them are famous, like Vasquez Rocks, but we have Bobby Clark talking about filming with the Gorn, and some of them are more obscure. But what we changed this year, kind of with what the headline is, and I don't want to knock the regular tour, because obviously we want people to jump on that, and there's another month or so to get your deposit in, if I'm reading my calendar right. But what we just announced, the headline uh, of this is that we're adding a one-day tour to jump in with the main tour once it gets to Vegas, because this time, after people said, why don't you go out to Valley of Fire where Kirk died? Well, this year, we're going out to Valley of Fire where Kirk died in Generations. And don't let me steal your thunder here, Terrace, but the big thing is, since we're in Vegas by then, and it's only the day before the convention starts, we've said, hey, if any of you want to make this a one-day trip, jump in with us. So the regular tour takers are already there. And now people who come in a day or two early for the con can hop on this and go out with us. Did I quote you right on that, Terrace? That's exactly it. And so, so we've kind of opened it up to, to the greater Star Trek community and said, come on, come on with us. We'll go out. Uh, we're going to go out in several different Jeeps heading out there. Uh, Larry, of course, is going to join us and myself. And uh, we have a special guest, uh, Larry. We can talk, uh, can talk about that because he's got the, sh- the spiel down. <laughs> Maybe you haven't finished thawing out there in Canada, Terrace. I don't. I don't. Know. No, I. I have this vision of these jeeps being painted blue, red, and gold, like a fleet of Starfleet jeeps coming out there. And gold. Yeah. <laughs> and guess which one has the accident? Oh no! Don't get in the red jeep. That's too cheap. That's too cheap. Don't get. I'm re- I'm really excited about uh, the uh, the whole thing. We're going to not only go do do a Star Trek thing, but we're actually going to go visit our uh, the bridge, the actual bridge that uh, that uh, uh, Mr. James T. Kirk uh, passed away on or yep. got crushed by. I have it here in my patio, and I'm going to bring it with me on the tour so we can set it up. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we're really, really excited about that. I think it'll be a good time for a photo op. Maybe we'll have some strange. Uh, we'll try to get people laying down on it and, and that kind of thing. So we'll yeah, see what no, happens I, I with was... this. Mind you, it might be a little bit toasty out there. So uh, uh, we're going to try to go go there first before we get to do it. Yeah, I, I was kidding. It was actually donated by the shooting company back in '94 to the park, and they've made it a permanent part of the park. So. Forget that whole patio thing. I'm just kidding. It's actually our research turned that up, though. It's really there. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. So we're gonna go see that. We're very excited, and uh, and Michael Westmar might be coming out with us, cool. depending on his schedule. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Work. Work. Uh, work. You know, sci-fi uh, face-off on sci-fi uh, pending, uh, and his arrangement with the convention. Michael is gonna come out with us. Because he was one of the few, the, the crew was so small when they shot those scenes out there because it was so hot and so distant. They had kind of a skeleton crew, but he was, um, he was Patrick's, basically Patrick's makeup person. And then uh, Shatner had his own person. So um, Michael was there. In fact, he has some wonderful stories. <laughs> and he has a souvenir or two, if you haven't heard it yet. It's on, on one of my blog videos, and, and I think on the DVD, on the Blu-ray. But uh, no, he's full of exactly how... Um, 
uh, has firsthand memories of them shooting. I have some some reference from the company too, uh, as far as how the platforms and the rocket launcher and all that was set up. Also, so it'll be a fun day. We're hoping to have him with us, and uh, it'll be a like I said, it'll be like uh, one of those times when you could go on your own, maybe, but the combination of the group and the people who were there, and having some firsthand expertise will be uh, will really make it memorable. Hopefully, we'll just um, as long as we all remember, it's going to be August in the desert. And we all prepare accordingly. It'll be incredible. Well, we're really looking forward to it. We're going to really try to make it a, a Star Trek theme out there. But we're going to also see uh, cool stuff like uh, the petroglyphs. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this is where a lot of uh, Native Americans uh, it was their religious area. So I, we're going to have a little bit of history with it too. Uh, some off-roading with the jeeps and, and that kind of thing too. So it'll be it'll be a full day. And uh, I, I'm I'm really excited about the whole thing. It's a place that I've never been before. So at least two Star yeah. Trek stops. As with the rest of the tour, you're getting a, whether it's historical or just cultural, <laughs> like the Santa Monica Pier, you know, the local color, you're getting a, a nice taste even beyond your Star Trek fix. And, I mean, it's for the, the main group, it's going to be kind of the, the piece de resistance. It'll be a very cool uh, addition to the whole thing because, I mean, we're going to go to J.J. Abrams Academy. We're going to go to, to Star Trek Academy with uh, Tillman Water Plant, which is the kind of more the iconic one. For Starfleet, yeah, which we couldn't do the first time around because it was under construction. We couldn't get in. Get, we couldn't get people there, so that's gone away now. They were very welcoming, actually, this time on the phone. They were saying, yeah, come by. We're really excited about having you guys. So um, I don't, I, I'm really excited about their, that whole thing. And, of course, then we go to the Paramount Studios and, and Franklin Canyon and, and Bronson Canyon and the whole thing. So, And all obviously to uh, Hollywood Boulevard to search yeah. for our, our Star Trek. You're, you're back talking about the full tour again. And I don't, and I don't want to not talk about that because we do still have some spots for that too. But yeah, we have a token Hollywood day, but we go all over the lot at Paramount with three different tour guides. Apparently, the PA and me, and then if we can get uh, Dave Rossi to jump in, if he's available, free to jump in with us. Uh, that was a, a hoot last time, and I learned something new before. So yeah, the the whole thing about the Valley of Fire is that uh, all I'm saying is that it's kind of. The main group gets to do that too, and it's part of the main group's tour also. So you're going to be, if you do join us in Vegas and, and just for the one day, then you're going you're gonna to have the full, you're going to have people that are already kind of right on the tour, but these people are going to be, you know, big Star Trek fans. So you're going to be, you know, surrounded by Star Trek fans. That's all. Those, those are the only people that I'm letting on. Basically. I don't think, yeah, unless you have some spouses or something who are being very tolerant and just want to other desert rats <laughs> secretly or something, you're, you're going to pretty much be surrounded. Yeah. So, Terrace, you guys go to all these places and then you end up in Las Vegas for the convention. And then I know that there are some special offers and extras that you have also, right, from Creation and a few others. Oh, yeah, for sure. Our, yeah. We still have some cool things, uh, Bye Bye Robot. We're going to get some stickers from them. We're going to get some stuff from... From the Space Cadets game uh, for for uh, the Stronghold games, uh, Rogue Factory, they've got some kind of cool stuff for us too, and and of course Creation. Uh, we're very excited about releasing the one day thing. Uh, it, our, the response has been really good, and and uh, uh, spots are limited. We we have twelve spots, and I think that we're I think we're at six now. There, I didn't tell you about the. Oh, okay. So half of the twelve are gone already, folks. Gone, so, yeah. yeah. So if you if, if you're interested, hop on and. Uh, 
come aboard. It'll be it'll be intimate. It'll be a small group, so twelve twelve plus, of course, the uh, regular tour tour guys. So this runs July twenty sixth to August fourth, and what's the cost? When are deposits due, and where should people go if they want to find out more and sign up? Okay, so the one let's talk about the one day uh, first because there are uh, the two different tours. The one day is is July thirtieth. Uh, the Wednesday of, of uh, July 30th, and that's 175 USD. So uh, uh, that is paid in full uh, at the time of booking. And the, uh, as you said, July 26th to August 4th is the main tour, and uh, that one is uh, $2,799 USD. Uh, that pays for all rooms and everything, including the rooms in Vegas. So and all the way through transportation, pretty much everything uh, for those 10 days. So remember, it's a 10-day ten uh, cruise, 10-day uh, <laughs> uh, tour, so keep that in mind. And the final's due on June 15th. But you can pay, you can put a deposit down. And, yeah, and oh yeah, $500 yeah. deposit. Very yeah. good. Yeah. So. And we should say, too, that the tour for the big tour doesn't end at the con, even though people, the focus becomes the convention. We have a we have a goodbye dinner, and you are there, moreover, to act as kind of a concierge. If people want to get away from the Rio, and they want to go downtown, or they want to get out and do something, maybe even as a group, um, because not everybody can do everything. Some things sell out on the nights. Lots of things are sold out, and uh, people do have some spare time occasionally. So, but that's that's part of the function of saying the tour runs through. It doesn't end at the beginning of the convention because you're still there on the job. And we try to make sure that everybody has time to do what they want to do because everybody conventioneers differently, right? So we kind of have a hands-off policy, but say, saying this is what we're going to do tonight, this is what to come join us, or uh, or uh, we're going to hang out here. Would you would you like to go to the strip or to go to this restaurant or 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 whatever we're doing? We always are up to something anyway, and we're very approachable. Uh, we have a booth too, so it's you'll know exactly where we are, kind of a, of a place to to store those bags. Well, I don't want to give anything away, but are you planning on having a surprise for everybody like you did on the first trip? Very visible? Wearable? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Of a course. few more hints, Larry. <laughs> yes. So well, they will be... Yes, uh, there for a second, I'm like, oh my God, what surprise did I do on the first trip? <laughs> As my name on it, and maybe we yeah. could even read it this time. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Or you okay. could, yeah, you could read your name. Anyway, oh, okay, yes, we, okay. We, we, we will have our traditional uh, Geek Nation Tours uh, bowling shirts. We always give out bowling shirts to everybody, and it'll have a cool uh, symbol on the back and Larry's big name. Apparently, you have to make sure. Because <laughs> when I'm you get saying. old, you can't see your own name. Uh, oh. uh-huh. <laughs> anymore. So, I've uh, had eight-year-olds uh, tell me they couldn't read that, and believe me, I went down the street asking. Yeah. Well, you know that's how that's how the, the I guess we have to decide how big of a headliner you are, Larry. It depends on how big the headliner is. I know you were scraping, but anyway, we should we should let uh, we need we should let the news hour continue on. Oh here, yeah, Jess, okay, but... well, I better get out of here. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Terrace, for filling us in on what's happening there. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. And, and uh, hello to all your listeners. 
So there you go. That's what's happening with Geek Nation Tours. And if you want to get in on it again, go to geeknationtours.com and find out what's there. And Terrace has a lot of other tours besides just the Star Trek one. So you can see what else interests you there as well. He's even doing a, uh, he, he's got one sold out. That's the um, 200th, the 200th anniversary of uh, Waterloo. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. You know, he, he, they, they go to Europe and, you know, medieval history and military history. And uh, he goes far. And, his, his philosophy is you can be a geek about anything. So, Does he have a National Lampoon's tour? Because I would love to go see Wally World. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if things keep on the way they're going, you could almost, yeah, you could build a... No, you know what you would do is you would go to the places where they filmed that. Right. Which is the, you know, I'm sorry, take you out of canon and drop you into the real world there. But uh, Exactly. That would be funny. That would be funny. Yeah, stop all, it's a nationwide cross country. Uh, oh, I have another one. Cannonball Run Tour, where we, we speed across the country, we run from the police, and we get to stop at every little cafe, diner, or any place that they stopped along the way. Well, uh, and then, well, if then you want to back it up about 10 years, just have your Terrace and the Bandit Tour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you your- oh gosh terrace i, I know you're yeah. listening to this show you told me you were going to listen when it came out and so here larry and i have just given you ideas for your next three to four tours i don't ever hear you say that you're up against the dead end buddy because there you go <laughs> all right well larry let's move on to one other story we have here <laughs> this is about you larry apparently i saw this on twitter I- yesterday have a romulan l with larry nemichik uh, what can you tell me about this I don't know. For some reason, now I want to talk about Romulans. But anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) well, you know, it's been an interesting couple of years and for me and, you know, along with my Trekland trunk and with Star Trek Continues and Con of Wrath ongoing, I've had a couple of groups approach me about being on their boards, a couple of nonprofits doing very interesting uh, projects. And one of them is uh, the Enterprise and Space Project, which maybe we can talk about down the future as it becomes more solid uh, later on this summer. But what's in my face right now is I've been on the board for what has, what has been called variously New Starship, the Enterprise D bridge renovation. But as it changes names, it's because the concept keeps growing. And it's not growing haphazardly. It's growing because the people who are interested in supporting it have said this this is not big enough. It needs to be bigger. And I'm talking about my friend Houston Huddleston, who a couple of years ago I ran into because he had salvaged pieces of a tour and an experience from Vegas, uh, Enterprise D Bridge pieces. Right. And the last couple, and at the beginning he was like, I've got this. What can I do with this? Is it crazy to think about doing something? And my first piece of advice was you can find tons of fanboys who will help you restore this. It's what to do with it afterwards. You know, you'll have to monetize right. and you'll have to be. Yeah on a consistent basis to pay the light bill and the power bill and the rent on a place to put it. But without an experience, a Star Trek experience right now, people would love to come party or have weddings or whatever, or even, you know, and he said, well, what about school kids coming in? We could put, hook the computers up and have it be educational. Well, well, as long as Picard's not there, because Picard will say, get those kids off my bridge. (laughs) Now, are we talking about early Picard, revolved Picard, (laughs) because you know. We just we put the death-defying Jeffrey's tube ladder in there, and you can change anybody's mind about kids. Right, that's true. Um, right, but uh, so yeah, so the concept grew until the point where lots of people around the country have taken pictures in the captain's chair, and it's been a wonderful smash at all kinds of conventions. 
and people have donated and, and he's had some Kickstarters and that was for promoting and getting it out there. But the concept got to the point where a lot of corporate and a lot of private donors said, this is too small. It needs to be bigger to be amazingly. So my point of staying on the board was I wanted to make sure this did not become a little cottage thing that, you know, Houston kind of shattered because he didn't know how to pivot and make it right. a bigger thing with a bigger team and a bigger mm -hmm. administration and bigger management. And that has happened because there are professional museum people, professional uh, you know CPAs and attorneys and professional fundraisers and development people who are united in their, they're all closet Trekkies. There are, you know, there are Trek fans of all stripes. And there are so many people who are also professionals in other fields that apply to museum and development work that that's all happened. And there are business plans and there are development plans that attract corporate sponsors. So it arrived at the point where, you know, and architects and design people. And so you can go to the, now the Hollywood sci-fi museum. And uh, there's a website now with the plans. And if they strike you as a little uh, blue sky, it's actually two phases. There's a starter museum to be in Hollywood, hopefully along Hollywood Boulevard. And there's interest with, city people and chamber people and you know they're they're interested in economic um a, a museum you know as a tourist as a tourist site mm -hmm. and then a mega plan within a few years that would expand it after the first phase shows that it's kind of viable but it's not it's not just somebody fell off a turnip truck and said hey let's do this i mean there's been a ton of people which has impressed me yeah. what's impressed me and kept me involved is that there are people who these are their uh, after the original group of Trek-related people that he got to be on the board who thought it was incredible, and after all the actors, you know, kind of vis visually and verbally endorsed the idea, of course. But then it takes a lot more than actors and designers saying, this is a cool idea, I'll help you. It takes yeah. concrete, you know, uh, number crunching, and it takes attraction, it takes marketing and reaching out to corporate sponsors. And that's where it is. So, yes, so the site is up, it got announced last week, and there's a Kickstarter, not for you know, millions of dollars, but for about 82500 82, to get the first phase launched and get it to the point where we can have corporate sponsors. And I just checked, it's five days in as we record this, and it's it's right a little over 20% of the goal. So they're a fifth okay. of the way there after four days. So, but I guess what caught your eye was the, as you mentioned, the Romulan Ale. Well, because I saw it go by as a tweet. Book. <laughs> and and that that was what the tweet was primarily about. So then I went and I started looking into it, and yeah, and I found out some of the stuff that you've told me about here. And so apparently you are one of the perks for donation. <laughs> Is that right? Now well, are people going to be this having is a Romulan idea L? now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I told him I would do anything to help out. So yeah, he's hitting up all of his supporters and donors, you know, uh, on the Trek side and on the professional side. And he, so now, yes, one of the Kickstarter rewards is for a $500 donation. We, you have a Romulan ale with me for a certain amount of time, an hour or two, and I'll share some of my archival things, some videos and, and some of the things I normally keep just with some of my donors. But I, and I've got things I don't even show in my Doctor Trek meetup crowdfunding parties. So uh, that plus just the idea, the ability to get me drunk and pick my brain, and probably tell <laughs> stories I shouldn't tell in public. 
But <laughs> so um, you know, this is Houston's idea. He seems to think it'll it'll go. So we'll see. So yeah. So uh, all right. So know, aside from saying you're you're a donor to the project and having all the uh, the perks that the rest of that comes with that. So. So there you have it, everyone. If you want to help the Hollywood Sci-Fi Museum become a reality, if you want to to help Houston Huddleston's project and continue the whole thing that started with the bridge restoration, and if you want to get Larry drunk and pick his brain about Star Trek, <laughs> this is your chance to do it. Well, and I should add to this, even if you're not here close in, in physical proximity, we could time that out to a convention near you. Or oh, okay. at the least, as as uh, as as uh, Houston suggested, and as Leonard Nimoy just demonstrated at uh, Away Mission Tampa, where I was, we can do a Skype visit. Or if you have a club or a group, uh, and everybody wants to pitch in on it, um, I'll we can we can do Skype, and I can run video over. I don't know about that, but anyway, we can talk on Skype. So, All right. Um, well, I was know, thinking. If can do it. I can do. I was thinking when you started saying that, that you're going to send some Romulan ale to the person and you'll both get drunk on Skype and have a drunk Skype and they can pick your brain over. Yeah, because, you know, yeah. we need to go where no, <laughs> uh, no interdimensional communication has gone before. And Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're kidding about the drunk part. We're kidding about the drunk part. The goal here is not to get drunk. But, um, you know, Romulan ale, it, it does have that effect on people sometimes as evidenced by the dinner in the undiscovered country. And, and when you're illegal, it has to be a five hundred dollar donation, you know, because you're paying for the uh, contraband. Because right. you know, Romulan ale is is uh, is alcohol forbidden. So that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to this, uh, both where you can find out more about the Hollywood Sci-Fi Museum project, and over to the Kickstarter as well. So if you want to go support that. Last item in the news today, Larry. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. It's been rumored here over the past couple of weeks that Roberto Orsi is interested in directing the next Star Trek film. And it was just reported by Deadline Hollywood uh, yesterday, I believe it is as we were recording this, that he appears to be the front runner now for this job. I was just curious, you know, what do you think about having someone who's never directed before, but of course who has been very involved in major film projects as a writer and a producer, you're taking over the next installment in the Star Trek franchise. Well, I, I was actually going to blog on this um, since I'm way overdue to, to do real, some real writing instead of just saying what I'm going to be doing. But I, I'm actually, this started with just the news about the, the how the writer writing team would be different this go around. Yeah. And I'm actually, as someone who, you know, has been, disappointed at times you know I, I the choices that they made with the alternate timeline are not what i would have done but then it's not my thing to call and knowing where the world was in 2005 and 2006 a lot of it i totally get right about the decisions made to do the go back to original series and kurt Scott mccoy but do an alternate but and i've talked i've had one long interview with bob Borsi, and i've I enjoyed listening to his long interview on the rod on mission log the roddenberry podcast I actually am cautiously optimistic because I have several things that I know and several things that I suspect. And I will come out and say, I'm, I'm cautiously excited. Does that make sense? I'm really looking forward to this. I hope it comes to pass. I'm, I'm excited about the shakeup in the writing 
team because I feel like of the vaunted Supreme Court, as they called it for the first movie, I know Bob is the most dyed-in-the-wool, across-the-board truck fan of all mm-hmm. He's not a wide-eyed fanboy. He's obviously paid his dues from, you know, Alias on and, and Xena and, and, and Alias on up. Right. And, you know, up to their feature string now they've done. And I know he's had his run-ins with some of the fandoms, you know, Transformers people and, and Trek people. And I think he's been a very loyal team member. And they've been very proud of the fact that they had a repres- they had a variety of attitudes on the t- from died in the world Trek fans to people who didn't know anything about it to you know genre and you know and hopefully out of all that mix they had a good balance. So when people talk about the strengths and the weaknesses of Trek 09 and then Stid, <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness, um, I I know that it's again it's remained a team operation with JJ being obviously the ultimate arbiter and especially with him being director. So I was excited to see how uh, Bob kind of being the senior guy with not two newer writers, but two newer writers to Trek, what that would result in, what that would yield as a script. And then if he's the one that's allowed to direct, I'm, I just really, I'm just kind of excited, which I know may shock some people. And a lot of people I get it are kind of, if not bemoaning, you know, quote unquote, trusting him, but just the fact that, like you say, he's a first time director. Um, there's a, there's a time when you, you're so immersed in story and you're so immersed as a producer and you're making decisions that, you know, people have their first movie at some point, everybody has their first movie somewhere. Right. And I don't know if Bob Orsi's thing to do would be to go off and do a little romantic comedy somewhere as his first directing, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I don't know if that's... It doesn't feel like it, right? I don't know, you know, and so you say, oh, and I don't, this is a, this is kind of odd, but to say this also, but I sense this even as Star Trek Into Darkness was coming down the pike. We're nowhere near where the buzz and the vibe was as it was around Star Trek 09. As, right, yeah, true. You know, Into Darkness was nowhere near that. It's kind of... 09 reminded me a lot of the first new Star Wars, the first the episode one for Star Wars. They yeah. had people camped out in line to see that two months before it opened. I mean, there was so much expectational buildup for that. I used to say the worst, the only thing they did wrong with Star Wars episode one was to open it. But uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, that ruined it. But um, not the same as with, with 09. But the, you could tell the vibe. Some of that was just the new being off. Some of it was just, yeah, if right. nothing else, the new had worn off, as we used to say colloquially, and even more so with Into Darkness. And I think that this might be, what's the word I want? This might catch people napping. This might, in sports metaphor, this might be, you know, the, uh, the upset special. Yeah. This might, this might catch people napping. I, I, you know, who knows? But I just have this sneaking suspicion that between the script and then letting him direct and be surrounded as I'm sure they would be like when they bring the actors along on the series to direct TV episodes surrounded by a complete team to be his complete safety net. You know, they're not going to throw millions away on, you know, waste. Paramount's not going to totally throw that away. But I think with some of the bloom off of Star Trek, if nothing else, just because, Oh, it's the third one now. And the second one did make in a lot of ways less money than the first one, but they're obviously going to do a third movie. They're not going to let it go. I think it may just be the right time to slip in somebody in his position to direct. 
It's mm-hmm. not like bringing in a director who's a known good director, but you don't know what they're going to do with Star Trek. Right. And for people that worry We've about that what he will before. do with Star Trek, yeah. right? Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm traumatizing back. I'm PTSDing back to Stuart Baird. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but uh, with Nemesis, but uh, and, and and people who tried to tar John Logan with the same brush, and I go, no, no, no. It was the script was great. It was what Stuart Baird did with it. You know the yeah. choices and the, and where they come from. So anyway, so I'm I'm really actually not a naysayer. I'm really kind of excited to see this come to fruition. And now to hear the news that it's not just him wanting to do it, but maybe the the um, uh, the momentum is starting to go that way. Maybe Paramount senses that this is not a crazy wacko idea to let a first time director, quote unquote, yeah, you know, turn him loose with a Star Trek. Maybe maybe this actually is a good fit for the time and the place and the, you know the situation circumstances. Yeah, it could be. I mean, he's been around working with JJ on so many projects for so long. And like you said, everyone has to have their first film at some point. And right. he oversees the Star Trek ongoing comics that IDW does, which are mm-hmm. set in the Abrams verse. And those comics have been, for the most part, really excellent. And I, I think that the writing team that they've assembled for the third movie suits that better. Like the three of them together may be a more cohesive writing team than what we've had for the first two movies. And so if he's directing, yeah, it could work out really well. Well, one of the things that's happened with the first two movies, and again, I've, I've seen the script for the first movie. It's no secret now. I mean, we know it's in the first movie. I haven't seen the physical script for the second movie yet, but I suspect there are an awful lot of things that J.J. brought to the script, for good and bad, both, that weren't in the script. Or they yeah. were indicated, you know, they're, they're there. The script, in some ways, is a, there's lots of... <laughs> There are lots of interpretive elbow room and visual touches where it's up to the director to lift it up. Because I always thought with the first ten, you know, with the original, with the original series and next gen movies, with the exception of Nemesis, sadly, I think all of the final productions were lifted. Whatever the script level was, the the final production lifted it off the page in a great mm-hmm. way. I don't think any production ever let a script down. People understand that, right? And I'm very excited to see what the same director who had a hand in the script. Because sometimes that's a recipe, with any of that's a recipe to design. It could become self-indulgent. And, oh, look, it's three hours and they can't cut themselves. You know, they can't. Yeah, it can out. be. Yeah. So, you know, but I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm excited for this. So I'm, I'm not a naysayer. I want to, I want to see that happen. Part of me is like, well, where can we go from here? I mean, I don't want to say we've got nowhere to go with up, but there are so many people who are disappointed with various aspects and various aspects of, the JJ films, at least our fan, you know, I try really hard to get outside the echo chamber of various layers of Trek fandom, the hardcore, the less hardcore, the armchair fans. Cause I'll be on, I was reading something the other day where it was a total tangent story about something of JJ, I think in the, in the star Wars. And there were two or three random people. And this comment thread that people were saying, well, after what he did for the Star Trek franchise, I can't wait to see what he does for Star Trek. And they were totally looking at the J.J. movies as the greatest thing since sliced bread for Star Trek. Yeah. And there are tons of people that believe that. So, And, and that's their opinion and power to them and God bless them. So um, anyway, I just think it's – and with his focus going over to Star Wars now, but obviously Bad Robot still producing the movie and having a hand in it. I heard somebody say, well, will he really give up? You know, having at least a, a finger on the scale <laughs> when letting someone else, whoever it is, letting them direct. Right, right. You know, but which we'll see. But um, 
I have to think that Star Wars is going to swallow him up pretty big. Even the vaunted JJ, I can multitask five projects at once, has yeah. to be has to be swallowed up by Star That's Wars. That's going to be a so big one. We'll see. But no, I'm excited about this. We'll see. Well, we'll see. Probably, you know, I suspect that they'll make a decision pretty quickly here in the next uh, few weeks, especially if they're already leaning this way, which is what it sounds like based on the report from Deadline Hollywood. So we'll see. And they, you know, they've already been working on at least the broad strokes of the story. Right, the right. So yeah. that's been announced six months ago or whatever. And if this mm-hmm. is really going to be, I hope it's not the only piece of the 50th anniversary, but if this is really going to come out in 2016, they've got to get cracking. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's all we have in news, Larry. But before we jump into the feature and have Alec and Tommy jump in with us, we'd like to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. They have over 150,000 titles for you to choose from. And as we do every week, we like to recommend a book for you to go pick up. They have a lot of Star Trek books on there as well. Larry, the book I picked this week to recommend everyone, because we're talking about Romulans in the feature, is Web of the Romulans, the the old novel by M.S. Murdoch, which is narrated by Leonard Nimoy and George Takei. Did you remember this novel? I That was back when I was reading the novels, yeah, before yeah. I came to L.A. and got professionalized. No, it's a great novel. Melinda did a great job. It's funny. It has the tomorrow is yesterday inspired computer, the, the the female computer voice with the attitude, and the computer has fallen in love with Captain Kirk in this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has some fun in it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nice, you know, it's a nice classic TOS numbered novel, just a fun story, and uh, the Audible version is very nice again because it is narrated by Leonard Nimoy and George Takei. And as a Trek FM listener, we have a special offer for you. You can get this book absolutely free just for trying Audible. All you need to do is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. Choose Web of the Romulans, or you can choose any other book you would like as well. And uh, give it a try. If you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. If you're already listening to audiobooks and you're getting them from another source, give Audible a try because they have a great selection, a great pricing. In fact, the audiobooks that you get through the iTunes store, those are actually supplied by Audible. So uh, go check Audible out directly at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep this book. That's yours. But by supporting Audible, you'll be supporting us. And we really thank Audible for their support of the Ready Room and the network. <laughs> One of the most momentous conflicts in Federation history is also one of the most mysterious ones, at least for fandom. Of course, Starfleet itself knows what happened, but the writers didn't give us a lot to work with over the years. First introduced in the original series episode Balance of Terror, the Earth-Romulan War is the basis for centuries of animosity between these two powers, but the details of this conflict remain elusive. Today we're going to talk about the Romulan War, and uh, to help us do that, we are joined by Alec Peters, who is producing Star Trek Axanar. Alec, welcome to the Ready Room. Thanks. Great to be here. 
Yeah, it's great to have you on the show for the first time with me here. And also joining us, we have Tommy Kraft, who is producing an Enterprise-era film, Star Trek Horizon. Tommy, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me once again on one of your wonderful shows. Yeah, great to have you here. We've been we've been doing quite a few shows recently, haven't we? We did a Warp 5 episode last week, had you on Continuing Mission. Of course, Alec, you've been on Continuing Mission as well. And Alec, I, I have to say thank you to you for introducing me to Tommy, because um, it was it was through you that we met. We've been talking the past couple of weeks. My pleasure, Tommy. I'm a big fan of Tommy's. Well, thank you. And you're quite a good matchmaker, too, apparently. So, hey. <laughs> Do I have a girl for you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> About time. She's green. She's green, yes. yes. <laughs> Finally. And Orion. So much better than anyone I know. Be careful. They ripen slowly. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah, Larry, you spent a lot of time around an Orion woman recently, didn't you? That's, well, it's been a few months, but yeah, that's true. That's true. You have to watch them. All right. Well, let's let's talk about the Romulan War here. And I, I thought we would talk about this in terms of sort of phases of the conflict in the history of Star Trek. And to begin with here, we will talk about the origins of the Earth-Romulan War. Larry, why don't you kick us off going back to... The original series, Balance of Terror, we find out that humans and, and Romulans had fought this war. We had never seen the Romulans before. Everyone was shocked that they looked like Vulcans. Right. Well, I mean, it's, you know, that was what the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth episode of the original series. Lawrence Schneider, they, he invents the Romulans. They want to do a battleship or they want to do like a submarine, like a, you know, What's the the submarine movie? Run silent, run deep. That was the whole the whole genesis of it. And if they'd known that the Romulans might have been a recurring alien, they might not have given them those you know quote unquote expensive helmets, because they wound up being so cool and casting Mark Leonard as the first Romulan commander made them so um, they just worked so well that they would have had them come back. Aside from the fact that with the story point of the whole. Um, Vulcans and Romulans are the same strain because they had the little plot point of suspecting Spock's loyalty by by Styles. Right. I mean, all those were just story points they just needed for that story, not thinking that, oh, let's establish some stuff that's going to be around for 50 years. I mean, it was just like, let's just get this script done and have it be dramatic. And, you know, from, from the major points about what the Romulans look like and how they dress and how much that's going to cost to produce on the little TV budget, all the way down to things like, uh, you know, they... They worked in sublight ships and no one saw each other. And all these things that now are like, you know, rock hard brick foundational canon at the time were just story points that they needed for that particular show. But that's the way, you know, who knew that it, Star Trek was going to be this huge success that millions of people were going to be drooling over, you know, every little nook and cranny of canon later on as they, as they evolved the background as it, as it goes along. But yeah. All that stuff was just created in the moment for the story's dramatic purposes, and um, you know it was a, it was a hell of a story that the submarine motif worked, and the whole um, uh, you know in another reality I could have called you friend. It's it's really amazing how um, you know by the time the second season came out and the Klingons became a much more regular recurring villain, 
because simply because of the, the damn helmets on the Romulans. You either had to put an ear on them or you could hit the ear. You had the helmet and that was expensive. And the Klingons, you just kind of threw ruddy makeup on and, and bang. Right. So the Romulans didn't really get yeah. their due in the original series, as it turned out. But they were such a presence from the power of things like, you know, Mark Lennard and then Joanne Woodville and in, in third season in um, Enterprise Incident. So um, yeah. it's, it's really amazing. They become one of the regular... Uh, villains, one of the regular recurring species of Star Trek, when you didn't really have them that often in the original series, but partly because of the tide of the Vulcans, I think, you know, is where that came from, and because they're so mm-hmm. irresistible. You know. <laughs> they're irresistible. <laughs> oh, I didn't oh. even mean that. That and the fact that what little, what little history we had of background to the original series was tied up in the Roman War. That and, and, and right. uh, the Eugenics Wars was about the most hard, you know, concrete history that we got at that time right alec i know that you're someone who loves to comb through canon you you've told me before how you and robert meyer burnett will sit and just talk about every little tiny detail of star trek over lunch how do you feel about the romulan war and and how it became canon and as larry just talked about when they created that they didn't know what kind of um beast they were creating in terms of tying the hands of writers perhaps i think that's it i think that the what what larry's point is right they just made up these plot points to serve the story at hand balance of terror and and what that does is that then kind of shackles all the future stories to these really random plot points that weren't thought out so um so sublight uh, uh you know uh uh fights, ship-to-ship battles, and atomic weapons, you know, uh, it's, it's all these things that really make no, that even the dates, you know, when you start talking about when it was, um, none of these things were thought out, so later on, everyone's trying to, you know, you got the space flight chronology comes out, and then you got, Okuda comes out with the, the Starfleet um, uh, chronology, the Star Trek chronology, and and so everything has to be fit into things that were just kind of randomly came up in Balance of Terror. And I think overall, we, we kind of accept certain things as being retconned, like they were using primitive atomic weapons or that there was, you know, it was sublight. Okay, we're going to ignore those things. But on the other hand, we didn't see the Romulans. That was something that we haven't retconned, that has come to be... Yes, okay, the, why, why was that? And that's really important because obviously in Enterprise they talk a lot about that. So I think the canon is somewhat, has to be somewhat flexible and, 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 and is thus retconned f- in, in the future just to make the whole universe a little more full and reasonable within the grand scheme of what is now, you know, immense numbers of Star Trek episodes. Well, having them be not seen visibly fits into their character, their their cultural character as being sneaky SOBs, you know, and above yeah, the, yeah. and not getting in like Klingons, getting your fist in your face and let you know who you're who you're being attacked by. But just having sublight ships, it's crazy. If you're if you're talking about interstellar races, having them bumbling around, and I mean anybody that still had sublight ships could be. <laughs> You know, knocked down. I mean, that's that makes no sense to have. And a, you couldn't a, even get to Earth from Romulus. That's what know, I mean. Yeah, if you yeah. had a sublight, right? It was. It wouldn't even be a war. You know, so yeah. the the movie would be called Romulan War, creeping to Earth. Yeah. you know, or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and our great grandchildren would see the final episode. Yeah, right. 
So, Tommy, uh, Alec just talked a little bit about how they addressed Romulans in Enterprise, brought them back in. Now, you're dealing with them from an Enterprise perspective because you're, you're really diving into the Romulan War. Um, how do you feel about the approach that the writers took there and and how that plays into what we've talked about here with the, the origin of them and your take on the Romulan War? Well, I think they did a really good job, especially considering what they had to work with. Um, as has been mentioned, these kind of random plot points about sublight and atomic weapons and so on. And some things, as as we said, should be retconned and some things we should just kind of not mention. But there are things that you can do with those that I think they probably would have gone on to do, um, at least to mention on the side in, in future seasons. I, one thing I've thought of is, you know, it seems like something a Romulan might do that they might use some kind of nuclear weapon um, on a planet because of the fallout, and it leaves it quite uninhabitable for a long time. And um, that would certainly make more sense than ship-to-ship nuclear weapons when everyone has disruptors and photon torpedoes. But in terms of the sublight thing, I don't know. What can you do with that? <laughs> but in, in terms of uh, how they dealt with it on Enterprise, I think when they started to, they did a really good job. The only caveat maybe being that the Romulans seemed to be much more advanced than they did in the original series in terms of ships with hollow emitters and warbirds that looked like they were really you know, swooshy and futuristic, but I did, I liked that personally, you know, sometimes with canon, you just got to kind of, kind of, you know, suspend the disbelief a little bit, in my opinion. Massage it. Yeah, exactly. Because we're not in the 1960s anymore. You go with your head canon, as we do here. Like, I have all kinds of things in my head canon. Like, for, (laughs) for example, for Deep Space Nine... You know, how did they get Breen suits uh, without the Breen knowing that they, you know, stole the suits? You can't see a Breen, right? When Kira and Ukai get the suits. Well, you know, the Breen were in the shower. They left their suits outside. They (laughs) ripped them off while the Breen were in the shower. Everything is smooth with canon for me. That's my head canon. So you kind of have to do that a bit with the Romulan War as well. You're, you're, that's a latter day version of, uh, yeah. of uh, Walter Koenig yes. and his, uh, I was in the, Chekhov was in the bathroom when Khan was on the ship right. the first season. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, it's just that's one right. of those things that you can work out in your head, but it doesn't necessarily need to be explicitly said on screen. Yeah. Right. Well, at least, and that's not as bad as 30 years of uh, Klingon forehead versus flathead. You know, which Enterprise <laughs> dealt really well with too, I thought, because they, again, you know, it's one of those things they didn't even hardly mention it. Like, if you hadn't seen the original series, you would have had no idea that they were retconning this idea of forehead ridges. But having yeah. seen the original series, you get this really cool sense of, oh, I see what they did there. You know, that that's an interesting question. Larry, tell me from the next generation, now, Tommy, that you bring that up. If you had never seen the original series, and so you never saw Balance of Terror, when the Romulans come into play in the next generation, you would just pretty much take them as, here's another enemy of the Federation. Yeah, well, you know, the next generation started off saying, we're not going to have, 
spotlight Vulcans, Klingons, and Romulans because they were all about we can make it on our own without the coat. They weren't looking at it as canon. They were looking at it as coattails of the original series. We have to have a new right. show that stands alone. And by the time they got to the end of the first season, they, that was starting to relax a little bit where they felt like they could do that. And part of it was having Worf in there. They eased up enough to have a Klingon story, really, and, you know, Heart of Glory. And then by the end of it, they figured out, and, and Maury Hurley was running the show by then, and they had relaxed enough to say, I know, let's, let's bring the Romulans back in the, uh, in the first season kind of finale. It wasn't a cliffhanger, but in neutral zone. And, uh, there, you know, there was the, the people, the, the cryogenically frozen people were part of the plot too. But the big reveal at the end was the new war, Andy Probert's big new warbird. And, oh my God, it's a couple of, uh, it's a couple of Romulans and here's what they look like now, a hundred years later. And that was a cool thing at the, at the time. But if you hadn't seen the original series, you, they talked, they would talk about, oh, we're back and we haven't seen them since the Tomet incident and yada, yada. And, there's some of that was laid in or even if you didn't know, you know, your original series canon, you, you got the idea that this was an old adversary and, and uh, whether it was a fake old adversary, <laughs> like the Cardassians, Oh, we were fighting them for 20 years before we saw them here, you know, or uh, whether yeah. it was for real. So, yeah, but then, yeah, little bits and pieces, even through next generation, like Ron Moore came up with um, uh, the battle of Sharon being the humiliating last battle of the war, or at least the turning point battle. And then everybody kind of thought, well, you know, that was it. And the Treaty of Sharon, somebody mentioned. But then later on, Ron comes back with the Treaty of Algernon being the formal name of the treaty that ended the Ron. So, you know, and, and the thing about that's where you had no cloaking devices. And that explains why the feds don't have cloaking and the Romulans do. And what? But that was another plot point for that episode for Pegasus. So anyway, that's another example of how little bits and pieces, even though the Romulans weren't really featured, What's sad is I think they had the, they got the the um, after they kind of went to them before the board came along and then next gen really took off. They leaned on them second and third season as nemesis, and after that they really kind of got characterized as kind of like the boring aliens. Even up through when Michael Pillar wanted them to be his his guys in nemesis, I mean in uh, in insurrection, and got told basically, oh no, they're the boring ones. Let's do something else, which is unfair. You know they really never got much. Even mm-hmm. on DS Nine and the Dominion War, they got. Paid. They got no respect it's outside of pale moonlight and the plot right. right there. I agree with that kind of feeling that at the time the Romulans weren't focused on enough. Um, and I could see why they would be perceived as the boring bad guys. Cause I know as someone back in the day when I was a Trekkie, but not as big as I am now, um, the Romulans just always seemed kind of on the periphery to me. They were just, you know, another alien race that showed up every now and then and did nefarious things. It wasn't like the uh, the Borg or the Klingons, not even necessarily the Klingons, but the Cardassians, say, um, where, you, where they were like this huge enemy or they felt like this huge enemy. And I think that's too bad because they have a lot of potential and I think Enterprise probably would have rectified that quite a bit. I think it's interesting, Larry, that you pointed out Pegasus, because the whole thing about the cloaking device and the Federation violating the treaty by developing this cloaking device in the first place is one of those aftermath effects of the Romulan War that we never, we, we didn't get to see the conflict, but yet there there's this baggage for the stories. Well, it's not exactly baggage. I mean, it's kind of convenient, right? Because you can make a new story and you can say, oh, yeah, as a result of that war, 
the Federation can't have cloaking devices. That's convenient. But at the same time, for like an in-universe storyline, there is baggage for the Federation as a result of that conflict that, again, we never got to see. Well, that was Ron Moore's, you know, here's, it's kind of like Klingon foreheads. Like, when are you going to talk about this? What, you know, part of the reaction is, oh, good grief, we have two different Klingon foreheads because we got a movie budget increase and we were so cheap in the original series days and now we could fix it. And, you know, but it was like, but still. And then, and then it, does it get better or worse when you have the original series guys in Blood Oath on DS9 and they're all bumpy heads all of a sudden? And does it fix it or does it make it worse when Worf acknowledges it in Trials and Tribs and says, yes, but we don't talk about it? And it's a funny joke, but at the same time, it's like, oh, they're aware. You know, it's like, well, then, but it was one of those complicated things where nobody was like, it would bog down an entire story. We'd never be able to answer this in a story because it would just be so much gobbledygook tech that we'd have to do. And one of those nagging questions for years, and since Ron was fanboy on the staff at the time, the only one, was, well, that would come out of the closet. I really was too, but, you know, it was like, um, why, why, does the, why, do the, why does the Federation not have cloaking devices and the, and the Romulans do? Because they're obviously smart enough to have them. And, you know, the famous old answer was, I think Richard Arnold quoted Gene saying, because we're the good guys and we don't sneak around. Which right. is only partly satisfying. So, you know, part of that was like, <laughs> Ron is like, okay, here you canonistas, here's my answer to why the feds don't have a, because it was outlawed in the treaty, you know, kind of a thing. So that's where that came from. But now again, it's something to, you know, to deal with. And I mean, the one thing I was going to say, Enterprise, I thought did well, was show why the Romulans didn't show their face, although we had contact. You know, the drone, the remote drones, mm-hmm. It's like the Romans went to great lengths to to hide and, and use their, you know, keep their identity clo- uh, cloaked, keep it hidden so that they don't give away the whole bond with the Vulcans thing, which by the time a century goes by and it's finally revealed, it's pretty powerful. You know, I'm, I'm glad they found a way to have dramatic scenes with Romulans and not have to, you know, backtrack on that, that piece, which was, yeah. just adds even more to the bizarreness of the whole thing. It's only less slightly bizarre than how you can have human-Vulcan interaction for 200 years and only in a muck time find out that Vulcans have Ponfar. Right. <laughs> That's pretty good secret keeping. Your allies and your... <laughs> they obviously don't have Twitter on Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the whole thing about not seeing their faces, though, is one of those things that they didn't even really mention. But if you're a fan, you got it. And that's really, I think, the only way you can kind of cover that thing in a story. Yeah. I mean, they mentioned it in ter- I mean, you get the idea of, like, it was because of this whole unification aspect and and nobody except these really higher-ups or these these officials knew anything about it. But it wasn't... It could have very easily been a wink to the camera and said, hey, guys, see what we just did there? And and it's it's. I think they did a good job with that. Alec, were, did you... Or were you tempted to mine any elements of Romulans for Axanar? I, I know the story actually centers around a conflict between Klingons and the Federation. Yeah, and mention the, just for people who may not know, mention the, the time period. Right, so Axanar is the story of the Battle of Axanar, and we, we set it in 2245, the year the Enterprise is launched. And we did that for a couple of reasons. One, because we want to at least see the Enterprise being, you know, in, in dry dock. Um, but that being said, it's, you know, obviously 85 uh, uh, years after the 
or 85, 90 years after the Romulan Wars, because um, obviously they take place, the Romulan Wars take place before the founding of the Federation. So um, uh, obviously the Romulan Wars right. take place between the first and the last episodes of Enterprise, um, since the last episode of Enterprise ostensibly takes place in 2161, I would assume. Um, so, uh, no, it, the short answer to that is um, I, I was from the beginning saw the battle of Axanar as a battle between the Federation and the Klingons because, uh, just because I, I, I was a big fan of FASA and those FASA role-playing games and the four years war there. And, uh, so that was, uh, that was why. And, and it was, it, it was Klingons and I love the Romulans myself. Um, but they never figured into Axanar. Now talking about battles in Klingons and Romulans though, I, we have to get into this topic because there's some background behind this that I think, you know, a lot of listeners may not really know the, the whole technology sharing between the Klingons and the Romulans in the original series, Larry, with the ships. When people watch that, um, I mean, it's obvious from a creative standpoint, you know, we have the ship available and your budget thing. What's what's some of the behind-the-scenes explanation for this, though, and then what's some of the in-universe explanation for this? Well, that all it's, it's all over the one line in Enterprise Incident when the Romulans decloak, and they had just you know it's for everybody that's come along. Oh, only in the last twenty or thirty years may not get this, but you know, ship model pre-CGI, you had to build ship miniatures, and ship miniatures were expensive, and they had built part of the cost of of Balance of Terror in the first season, I mean, after you built the Enterprise, they they held up a half a year, and it wasn't until they did the deal with model kit, you know, AMT model kits, that they got the shuttlecraft, big mo- you know, live set piece that's now in Houston, restored, amazingly, and the little miniature for filming. So that was about it. And then, however, they cobbled up the poor little Botany Bay, you know, and then reused it later as a freighter. You know, and so, you know, like, ship models were like a high-dollar item, and it it's not like just churning one out all the time now. They, they were even a high-dollar item during Next Generation and, and the pre-CGI DS9s and Voyagers. But they had a Romulan model, the Bird of Prey, reused its stock footage and shot it. They didn't even reshoot it. They just used it again in Deadly Years. And then uh, nothing for the Klingons, even as the Klingons got to be the more popular characters. So here comes third season. They do another model deal with AMT where AMT says, we'll build your miniature, actually built a couple of them, for the rights to the model kit, which worked out great for everybody. They've got a filming model. It's a very simple thing hung on piano wires. And they, you know, but before what's ironic is before they even get the first use in, which was Alana Troyes, I think, which got shot early, but shown later. The first time people saw that model configuration, it was painted blue as a Romulan ship in, in Enterprise Incident. So when it pops up and, you know, now we watch it and go, oh, look, but, you know, first time viewers saw it pop up and Spock says, oh, look, they're using uh, Klingon ships as, as their own. There must be a Klingon Romulan, you know, recent intelligence says Klingons and Romans are sharing technology. It went kind of over everybody's head at the time until you saw that ship used more as a Klingon, like they had a dove and a couple of times. They really only used it, what, three or four shows. So it's really funny that it got used that way. And then when they remastered Mike and Mike Akuda and Denise and Dave Rossi and when they remastered the original series, they took out one of them when they were doing the new CG and put in a bird right. of prey to kind of give it a more Romulan feeling. But it's ironic that that happened. But then, because they didn't want to 
they didn't like the original Romulan model. There's a various story, whether it was lost or broken or Matt Jeffries didn't like it or whatever, or they just wanted to show off the new model, whatever excuse they had to do to do it. But whatever reason, they used that Klingon model, which hadn't even been Klingon yet on screen, as, as the deal. And that line, which is now kind of moot a little bit, but the line was totally invented to cover, explain why the Klingon ships were popping up as Romulans. But from that one line, again, you know, one mention, we have this thing about Klingon Romulans have a brief alliance. And then when you, and th- this would also be about the time that, um, you know, Nimbus, good old Nimbus 3 and the Planet of Galactic Peace was getting set up that would just be a few years Years later in production time, but in canon time, just a few years later. But then when you get into like TNG time, they talk about all the, the, the Romulan Klingon, you know, you know Narendra 3 and, and uh, things from Yesterday's Enterprise, Skirmish and, and Worf's, um, the massacre at Kittimer, all those kind of Romulan. Obviously, they did not stay allied for very long, which is a whole lot of canons right. waiting there to be explored. A little bit. So, yeah, all that invented, though, over a model that was either lost or, or, or thrown out. So if we put it on the timeline, I think that the Klingons and the Romulans took their inspiration from Apple and Samsung, right? They worked together temporarily with some technology cooperation, and then they became enemies. Yeah. (laughs) Go with that, Chris. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also in my head. So what does that make Steve Jobs the Praetor? (laughs) Yeah, who's who? Who's who in your analogy? (laughs) Yeah, that's why the Romulans always, when Picard finishes talking to Tomalok, for example, Tomalok says, and there's one more thing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, it is funny how in original series, the Romulans were supposed to be the ones with honor and the Klingons were the horrible, crappy, yeah. Boris Badenov, you know, Soviet, you know, takeover yeah. client states guys. And by the time of Next Gen, the Klingons became the honorable ones and the... Uh, the uh, Romulans became, you know, they had them as, as, as stand-ins for Cold War, Red China, and Soviet Union. But by the time of Next Gen, the Klingons had become the honorable samurai-ish ones, you know, Asian-ish almost, if I go on a limb. And the Romulans were the sneaky, uh, they're, they're so, mm-hmm. um, um, what's that, what's the horrible adjective I'm trying to think of here? Uh, they're the ones that are the... Um, the sneaky guys. Yeah, the sneaky ones won't show their face. Yeah, the sneaky guys. What's no oh, um, anyway? Yeah, it's how that had subverted, and where you know they say uh, the Klingons don't take the whole thing about Klingons not taking hostages, where you would almost think that was well, it flipped around. Yeah, the the, the two of them flipped from the original series time period to the TNG time period, kind of almost reverse the way they were characterized. I think we've actually right? even yeah. done a show. Yeah, the way they're characterized. Yeah, we've done a whole show about that before. I think a long time ago on here. So uh, what else do, Alec, what do you get from, you know, being a TOS guy? Tommy and I were talking about Romulans uh, recently on Warp 5, actually, how they're used in Enterprise. And as part of that, we talked about how they were used on on TOS. And that they're there three times, but there is the Deadly Years, which is an episode where, of course, I remember the episode and the main plot of it, but I, I tend to forget that the Romulans are really in in that episode. Yeah, I forgot until you just mentioned place. it. That's right. They're just they're just kind of there. They're in the like, stock Like we have to sector. use them again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, I just, you know, and I just think that uh, the Romulans had, they just had, and I guess you could say it about the Klingons as well, but the Romulans had just two fantastic episodes in TOS. 
I mean, Balance of Terror is one of the top ten episodes. Anyway, I think anyway you cut it, and um, and uh, the Enterprise incident is um, uh, well, just for Joy and Linville alone, I'll rate that episode really high. But uh, it was great. You know, we had so much. We saw the Romulans so prominently, and that was such a Romulan-oriented story, and we learned so much about them. Um, it, it, and so it's kind of interesting, you know, just to draw a parallel that. When you think of seventy nine episodes of the original Star Trek, right? We we had what? How many mm-hmm. episodes between Romulans? Three Romulan episodes and what? Three Klingon episodes? Is that what we? Well, there are more. There five. More. Is that right, Larry? How many? How many times did the Klingons? Well, Aaron to Mercy and uh, and Day of the Dove were the biggest. There are three ones. But you big. Had, trouble, trouble with Tribbles makes yeah. three. Yeah, but then you had Klingon agents yeah. in Private Little War and Friday's Child. Right. And, yeah. Okay. Uh, Alana yeah. Troyes and. They were out there hovering around, but again, they were cheaper to but, put on. But you're screen. right, Alec. It's like three big, three episodes. big episodes: Aaron of Mercy, Klingons. Day of the Dove, The Trouble with Tribbles, yeah. and, yeah. Then well, they and really it. two, and then a Phantom show because it's all stock footage of ships. There's no characters. There's no Romulan characters in in, da- in uh, Deadly Years. I think there's a voiceover on the on speak intercom, but there's no made up screen. Oh, with Romulans, Romulans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Romulans, Romulans in Deadly Years. That's why. I, that's why I forget that they're there. Because yeah, yeah, it's just stock just, footage of the bird of prey flying by. So we really right. don't have. Yeah. So really, in TOS, I mean, if we're talking about the Romulan Wars, which is the show about, we we really don't get anything outside of Balance of Terror in TOS, and then we learn some things. Not really about the Romulan War so much, I guess. In TNG, is is the is the treaty they refer to supposed to be the treaty that ended the Romulan War? They talk about the Battle of Sharon being the last, which which is crazy because then you go Sharon, you mean like the black and white guy Sharon or another Sharon, which is another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, so it, the thing about the Romulan Wars though is, realistically, we don't really get anything of significance until Enterprise, and then we get the, all those episodes in Enterprise that really that delve into that we don't see the Romulans right. Um, we, so that becomes the big plot point, um, but I think that obviously the Romulan Wars are are then, I th- and I think everyone wanted the fifth season of Enterprise to be about the Romulan Wars. You know, they, I think a lot of people will will tell you that, um, and uh, so sadly we don't see that because there was no fifth season of Enterprise. But then we have two great books um, that talk about the Romulan. Three, you could arguably say three, including the Kobayashi Maru. Um, that are enterprise books about the rhyme of the war. Two of them are the rhyme of the war. The first is uh, Beneath the Raptor's Wing, and the second is uh, what was the name of the second book? Oh, to bra- Beneath the Raptor's Wing and To Brave the Storm. To Brave the Storm, yeah. To brave the Storm, the other one, yeah. So, so, and those are the really the books. You know, of course they're books, so they're not canon, but they're the closest thing to it. I I always tend to put books above comic books. You know, I don't even consider po- comic books loose canon. I I, I think they're kind of uh, just you know, apocryphal for what they are, um, but I think those two <laughs> books are really good and really fill in a lot about the for those of you who are interested in the Romulan Wars. Those two books are must reads, and I would throw in Kobayashi Maru, which is really the lead in book to the first Romulan War book. Definitely, and and yeah, they're not canon, but these books were commissioned and written specifically to fill in that missing gap from Enterprise for fans. And so I would at least consider them semi-canon for me. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's expanded universe. You know, it's, 
and and I think that the thing I will, will say is I think that um, Pocketbooks and uh, and has done a fantastic job of kind of coordinating the books over the last half dozen years, where where all the books oh, yeah. started are you know really play well together, especially the TNG timeline. Um, you know, I, I've I read the Destiny books and and they tie in to the Romulan Wars a little bit too. But I, I give Pocketbooks a lot of credit for starting to really. It's not just the scattershot. Here's a book. Here's a book, and nothing has anything to do with any book. The books are starting to create an expanded universe, a la Lucasfilm and Star Wars, which really, which up until getting acquired by Disney, they really tried to weave together their expanded universe. And then, and then, like a little over a year ago, what got me was when I got the chance to do stellar cartography. I had already read uh, David Goodman's Federation 150 Years book, and I had not been familiar with uh, Michael Martin's, like the Romulan Wars books, uh, but the, the pocket books that had tried to, to flesh out the Romulan Wars a little bit. And it wasn't until after I'd gone through Federation on its own and then got the chance to do Star Cartography where one of our 10 maps was going to be a Romulan War rehash. And then I got into this whole dilemma of when David went into some really detailed scenarios. I mean, what we all we know is that the Romulans somehow attacked Earth somewhere. The Battle of Sharon apparently ended it. And that a surprise attack probably started the war, so probably by the Romulans. And that's what he gets into. And then David, as I got into this, I didn't realize at the time, but very quickly after that realized that David had sat down and done all these details centered around those three things and then a lot of context that didn't follow the pocket novels. Which Romulans. really disappointed so me. Here, I, I got to well, say, I, well, hey, I really did. I was, as a guy, as a guy who came out of the quit going off on five different versions, guys, and let's tie up our canon together, I was sitting there going, now which one do I do? <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and I really went back and forth on it. And then, and then it was kind of like, we don't care, Larry, but you've got three months, get on with it. And it was like, because this was supposed to be a focus map and then have three insets of battles and the three that we kind of knew happened. I mean, part of, I was disappointed because Picard talks about Pearl Harbor and, uh, not having Galarndon Corps be another, um, it was pre nine 11. They could have said that, uh, you know, if it had been, in, he says, Pearl Harbor or Station Salem 1. And I always wanted Station Salem 1 to be the sneak attack that started the Romulan War because it would be infamous across the centuries of history. But he didn't go there either. And no one has ever said what Station Salem 1 is, which is a little holy grail of canon for me. But anyway. Um, Isn't that part of Brandon Braga's new TV series? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Romulans are going to secretly bomb Salem. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. And they're, they're witches, they're witches, they have pointed ears. Um, <laughs> but look, we have we brought Velcro. Um, but anyway, it was a big decision, and I didn't know. And finally, I just on my own said, I feel like some kind of weird loyalty because it was Becker Mayer Amazons to do David's version. Even though in my heart I was going, everybody I know on the you know, the authors and the pocket side people are gonna hate me for this, or maybe not enough people care either way. I don't know. But David had this very lush uh, detail out for a couple of the, the uh, battles, and I went ahead and went with it. So that's the one that's in there. Now, I read somewhere later on, someone told me, wrote me somewhere on the way, and I need to find this, and said, you know, don't feel bad 
somebody had written a piece that like wove them both together, which amazes me, <laughs> which is like, you know, my heart about massaging everything together anyway. So I want to dig that out sometime, but it was a conscious thing. I didn't enjoy being put in that position. You know, I wanted to make something that was, because I'm a person that hates when people go off on tangents without consulting. The, I mean, I'm a person that I know a lot of people love the book, but when the space flight chronology book came out, it smacked all of pocket trying to have their first nonfiction book back in 1979 be its own thing and not go with anything that the burgeoning background canon people were weaving together, you know, um, and they weren't following all, even the timeline clues, they weren't following everything that was obviously there that wound up being what the writers and Mike in the encyclopedia and everybody in the chronology wound up using. So it kind of sticks out on it. So even though it's got Rick Sternbach's wonderful illustrations in it, but um, that's a case of somewhere, you know, so I come from the background of, hating tangents and canon when, when it's created whole cloth and not adding to the strength of what's existing already. So I apologize for mm -hmm. that to everybody. It's, I felt like I was between a rock and a hard place, but it looks pretty. And, and there's a lot of it. And hopefully there's enough there that can be used. Um, you know, like I said, I want to get back to this person that says they, they, they reconcile the two, but um, I just want to say the piece out there. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Well, we're very much into the retcon portion of the discussion now, I think. Yes. Tommy, you're dealing with the Romulan War directly in Star Trek Horizon. And how much have you... I hear Larry's talking about you know different people's takes on the Romulan War that don't actually mesh with each other. What, what has been your approach to it? Are you, are you pulling from some existing explanations of what happened? Are you creating some things on your own? Oh, I simply don't care. I'm making it all up. <laughs> That's a joke just to make people angry, by the way. Um, I mean, <clears throat> there is so little to go off of anyway. And since my main goal was to approach story threads that Enterprise had touched but not finished specifically... Um, there, I I found myself not having to fill in that many historical gaps, as it were. Um, and that's not because I didn't do the research or anything, but I don't know. Maybe I, it, I just didn't find myself conflicting with canon all that much. The only thing I really had to be careful about was the whole not seeing their faces thing, which is why our Romulans are going to get some cool little helmets. Um but beyond that, I, there really wasn't that much of an issue for me. Part of that come out of the plot of the actual plot of the actual story you're telling that, that you're able to do that and not you know, like the, the helmets, corner or? that you staked out in space and time doesn't depend on the big tapestry of the war. Right. About yeah. The that way. Um, I mean, the, the important dates, are, it's kind of in between. It's right before the Battle of Sharon. Um, so I did, I mean, that was an important thing for me. And at the end of the movie, the Battle of Sharon, or they, they mentioned that we're going to patrol the Sharon system. Um, and that was a thing for me that I made sure that I wanted to include in there because this movie does not conclude the, the, the war, but, um, it's implied for Trekkies, especially that, you know, that's that's coming really soon because it does take place not long before the founding of the Federation. And so that was those were kind of the bookends there was this that was the big bookend was the founding of the Federation. 
and that was something I wanted to make sure that I had right in terms of dating and everything too. Now, just to, for people that may not have heard before, is are you talking about like a feature length or an episode length or a short or what do you actually shoot? Yeah, it's a feature. It'll be probably over two hours. Um, it's it's longer than a TV pilot. I I would guess conservatively around an hour and fifty, but probably longer than two hours. Well, I think it's refreshing because I get tired of old and new writers talking about how they can't go with canon for any new Star Trek series because it's just it's 700 hours and it's like a rock around our neck and how could you be creatively free to do I just want to say bullshit just write your stories and characters and then have somebody over in the side I'll do it or there's 20 people that could sit down and write a memo and fix anything with a line you know you make one fix and bang I'm really tired of this whole thing about people knocking canon and what you just said is very refreshing well, that's, I mean, the, the, one of the main characters in the movie is a Romulan defector. And I, when I when first started writing down ideas, I wasn't aware of the whole not seeing the face thing. I got like halfway through. I might have even finished the draft of the script. I was like, oh, crap. How am I going to fix this? She's such an important character. And then I hit upon the idea of she was part of a Tal Shiar operative to receive uh, genetic alterations to be essentially become human. And... There you go, problem solved, and it fits her character so well because it makes her that much more untrustworthy. You know, it's like it it just like the perfect solution, and it was a couple of extra lines, literally, in the script. And does it save you a lot of makeup cost? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> you don't need the hair, you don't need the forehead ridges or the ears. So that was a that was a, a win win. You just need the devious smile. Yeah. Well, Callie's really good at doing a devious smile. Do you have some scenes where you do see her in her normal guise? Uh, no, actually, because the movie picks up with uh, the NX-04 bringing her back. Um, we don't know where they where they got her from, but you just hear this thing that was like a six-month mission to go out somewhere, exfiltrate her, and uh, bring her back. And at that point, she's already received the, the modifications. Um, and it takes place pretty much real time from there. And there are issues too. I suppose you could you could make up too. Well, how did they exfiltrate her and not see anyone's faces? Well, I mean, maybe maybe she was hiding out on some planet where there weren't a lot of Romulans. You know, there's always there's always a solution if you need one. But um, yeah, it it does help in a lot of ways. Alec, while we're talking about different takes on this. I wanted to go back for a minute to the books that Michael A. Martin wrote. And without spoiling the books for anyone, what are some of the the basic twists and turns of the war that Martin puts into his story to, to kind of fill in the blanks? Uh, interestingly, we, we deal with um, Daedalus class ships. Um, he, he deals with those. The, the big theme is this ability of the Romulans to, through, you know, basically take over your, your the operating system of your ship, hack into your ship and take it over. That's the big strain. And, and, um, and how do they combat that? The funny part about that is you find this team that's dealing with how do we then make our ships impervious to this technology. And, and I'm still not sure how I take it, but they're basically the way they solve the problem is to make everything retrograde, thus explaining why TOS ships look 
more primitive than 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 uh, an, an, an NX okay. class ship. They're like you know they're saying things like rocker switches. Who uses? Yeah. yeah, but we can beat the Romulans if we use rocker switches. You know, it's it's basically that. <laughs> and it's it's like we got to get out of this digital and get back to analog. And I feel like saying. Well, just roll out the old Battlestar Galactica. That was all analog, you know. Uh, <laughs> so many things sound like Battlestar Galactica, don't they? I mean, even Larry was talking about there was a sneak attack on Earth or wherever it was, sneak attack, and that started, and and then now we're going to analog. Yeah. Yes. Right. It's like Battlestar Galactica wrote the plot of the Romulan yeah, War for us, right? Exactly. So, um, <laughs> so I, you know, and I read both books, and I enjoyed both books. Um, uh, you know, I thought there was a little, that was a little more manipulation of, of trying to fit into canon than I necessarily needed. Um, uh, cause I, yeah. I don't think you can, I don't think you can logically explain the, the line from an NX class ship to a, a TOS, uh, constitution class ship. Um, the only explanation is they're 50 years, you know, they're 40 years apart in their design. Uh, that, uh, that is the, uh, the explanation. So, um, but other than that, I mean, it's it's fun to see Archer, and of course, in those novels, uh, Trip is alive. His death was staged in you know these the, these are the voyages, uh, which is fun. I like that. I appreciate that. Um, and there's lots of intrigue and spies and spies on Vulcan and this and that. So I think they're they're really worth a read. I, I certainly, if you enjoy Enterprise and that timeline, that time frame, I would read Kobayashi Maru and then the two Romulan War books. My understanding is it was supposed to be three Romulan War books, but they cut it down to two, um, which is a shame. Um, but uh, they're they're good, and um, I, I, I uh, I'm actually just downloaded the one about the Federation, the one with the archer in his dress uniform on the cover those are really good yeah the rise of the federation yeah i just uh, wrote i just downloaded that both so looking, of them on literary treks yeah and they're really interesting good i'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to reading that as a matter of fact we actually we, we even reference archer in axanar he even gets a, a call out in prelude to axanar um cool because i think goodman in his in in his history of the federation says that archer saw the uh the enterprise launch and then died the next day yeah, well, um, Mike Sussman put that on the bio file that the Mirror Archer is reading about his crime counterpart. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And that was mm-hmm. all stuff they dashed out. And now, of course, it's been glommed onto and everybody wants to make that. Because it is kind of a cool bit. But. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool bit. So anyway, we we um, we, ref- we reference uh, Archer and Axanar, um, not uh, not necessarily by name, but it's, it's very, very cool. So... Um, yeah, so I think those books are, are a good read, and I think certainly if you're interested in the Romulan Wars, those are they're a must read. You have to read those books because they are our best source of detailed information. Even though it may be one step removed from canon, I think it is the is legitimate expanded universe, and I think it's worth uh, it's certainly worth a read. When you get so little about a key event in canon, I think it's okay to step outside of canon to to fill in the blanks there. Oh, ab- absolutely! I mean, absolutely. That's I mean, honestly, that's what we've done so much in XNR, You know, with Robert April. Or, I mean, Robert April is a perfect example. I mean, what we see him, you know, in in, in uh, one animated episode, but everyone basically ex- accepts the fact that he was the first captain in the Enterprise, and and we have a date, you know, when he was born, and he and and all of that stuff. So it's it's woven into so many non-canon sources that he's become canon in a way right yeah 
Well, let's wrap up the discussion here. We're getting close to an hour. Uh, Larry, do you have any final thoughts on the Romulan War? Anything that's you know cropped up over the years? Have you seen any fans get into a fist fight at a convention over the Romulan War? No, I wish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it, it is. I mean, like I said before, I, I there's a piece that wants to apologize for jumping out with because the, the the maps. I'm looking at the the my high res version of that file. It's very pretty. It's very mappy. It's on the hex background, and there are some. Um, there's a couple of bits that I tweaked to, to match David's narrative of the war. And like I said, I now I want to. I wish I'd done this previously, but I want to go back and find the person that supposedly meshed the pockets narrative and David's narrative that was in his 150 years book. But uh, it is it, none of it's prime technically until we actually, you know, uh, Gendress and script that would have had a Romulan War story until we get something on film by classic definition. It's it's technically not canon, so it's kind of out there. And uh, there's also kind of a, you know, all the years when fan versions are coming out or even professional non-canon versions are coming out, there's kind of a court of public opinion that sets in at times. And um, when there's one or two or three competing things out there, either something that's more popular or it's in, for good or bad, it's in the branch that dies away and doesn't get, a, you know, ongoing uh, audience with people. So uh, over time, people kind of settle on something. And then another generation of writers may be the kids that grew up with, say, the pocket novels. And that's what's just what they, you know, just kind of like the way yesteryear, all the years that canon, that uh, the animateds were not considered canon because of some of the problems mm-hmm. in them. But people still love yesteryear so much. And it was a Dorothy Fontana episode and, you know, it touched on the basics of Spock and Sarah and Amanda and Balkans that people used, pulled from those for years before they got rechristened as canon again. So maybe we'll have that over time, but until, you know, for now it's a, it's a spot begging. It's a shame that enterprise got cut off. It's a shame that no movie has touched this yet. If nothing else, what I thought was ironic was when Michael Piller got told the Romulans were boring, too boring to use in, in, uh, in, uh, insurrection. insurrection. What happens? Yeah. The next Berman era movie uses Romulans and nemesis. And then, you know, totally different break in, in, in regimes, and now JJ and Bad Robot, and they use Romulans to launch this. So it's the Romulans are due for some respect, and and uh, you know if nothing else, going back and fleshing out the Romulan War, you know, is a great way to do it. So so kudos to Tommy, and um, I can't wait to see you know. And I love your attitude about we'll tell our story, and Canon will take care of itself with some intelligence, and tell the story first, and I can't wait to see it. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, Tommy, any final thoughts on Romulans? Oh, uh, nothing too spectacular um, that hasn't already been said. I mean, at this point, I think we've gotten about as green-blooded as you can get. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) I I like them a lot. We, We can leave it with that. All right. Well, yeah, I think we've we've already recorded as yeah. much discussion about Romulans as information we ever got about the Romulan War, right? Yeah, I think this is like two or three hours probably now we've talked about Romulans, me and you. So. <laughs> That's right. Oh, here, real quick. Do you, does does anybody, just real quick, does anybody have any, now that it's speaking of retcon, this just popped into my head. None of this ever talks about what Remans might have done through any of this Romulan history or been used. Does anybody get into that? I know the novels were done before the Remans were created, right? I would love to, but makeup cost? Holy cow. (laughs) Okay. But that's a good point, though. I mean, I think fan productions, especially, that might be one reason why, because 
Riemann makeup is incredibly complex and actually pretty rare. Even when you saw it on Enterprise, it was in the shadows. But uh, that is now you're inspiring me. I want I just, to go I just, just popped into my head. But, so anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, Alec, any final thoughts on Romulans and the Romulan War? No, I, I, I mean it would be nice for it to be explored more if we had had a season five of Enterprise, but we didn't. Um, I, I'm looking forward to Tommy's take on on on, on that era. Uh, because I think it's fascinating. I happen to, and I think the um, Rhymelands were well well treated in Nemesis. I mean, I with all the flaws of that movie, the I think all the Romulan stuff was very very cool. I mean, it, really, my take on Nemesis: take out B four, and you have a really intriguing movie. Um, I think I love the the uh, Valdor class ship is one of my favorite Star Trek ships. And I love the uniforms, and I love the look, and I love that Romulan Senate is one of the most beautiful sets ever made for Star Trek. So um, yeah. I, I just happen to be a big Rom, uh, Romulan geek. I, lo- I love them. So, uh, um, yeah, read the Romulan War books. Well, thanks for joining us today, guys. And Alec, before we let you go, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find out about Axanar as well. Sure, StarTrekAxanar.com or Star Trek Axanar on Facebook. Or Star Trek Axanar on Twitter. It's funny how that works. And uh, yeah, please uh, please follow us and uh, find out. Prelude to Axanar will be released sometime, uh, probably in, in the end of end of June. It's going to be amazing. We just finished shooting. Yeah, it looks amazing for sure. And Tommy, where can people find you and also find out more about Horizon? Um, well, StarTrekHorizon.com, and we have a Facebook at Facebook.com slash STHorizon, or you can just search in the bar, Star Trek Horizon. Um, we're on YouTube. If you just search Star Trek Horizon, a lot of our videos should come up. It's on the Project and Resource channel, which is like my production company. Um, we have a Kickstarter going for the next seven days. It's just wrapping up. And that can be found uh, as Star Trek Horizon Kickstarter. And um, oh, that's goodness, about it. Oh, my get that out there. How are you doing on your Kickstarter? Uh, we had our goal of $10,000, and we passed that in 36 hours. Oh, and okay. Yeah, so we did, we did really well. And it's been – we just passed 18000 So uh, we're hoping to hit the, the stretch goals of 20000 and 25000 So crossing the fingers. You can't see it, but my fingers are crossed. It's a great project. I'm a huge fan of Tommy's and Star Trek Horizon, so um, I, it, we, we, we work closely together. I know Tommy's itching to help out on Axnor, and we're looking forward to having him. So uh, we, I consider him like a sister project. I thought you were just going to say there for a second, I consider him like a sister. And <laughs> I did too, yeah. While I appreciate I the comment. <laughs> it's, it's actually an old Romulan phrase. It's very honorable. Right. Right. It is. We'll go with that. Thank you, though, Alec. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Larry, I'm glad Alec and Tommy could join us today to talk about the Romulan War. And um, it was an interesting discussion. I think we also proved that there isn't a lot written in the canon about the Romulan War. No, it's one of those yawning chasms. It's just like, you know, know, it's just uh, magnetizing and galvanizing people to go... You know, it's one of the gaps. I talk about gap-filling canon all the time. That's one of the most yawning chasms of unfilled canon that's out there. That, and yeah. of course, exactly what was the Tomed incident. And it <laughs> happened on the other end of it. 
All right, we'll, we'll save that for the next special ready room, the Tomad incident. And we'll we'll really dig into that. <laughs> Not to be confused with the Toe Jam incident, but yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, well, this is the, the Romulan War and the Toe Jam incident are not the only things we've been talking about here on Trek Film this past week. So here's a quick look at what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. DC Fontana. The genes and everybody saw what she could do, and they allowed her to transcend the role of secretary, much, much as Peggy in Mad Men. Earl Grey. Saucer Separation. And usually it's, it's said very dramatically. The star drive section only? <laughs> what? Like they left half the ship? Where is it? Uh, the other half will come on Tuesday. Could it be in a pocket dimension? I don't even know. You left space stock without a saucer? The ready room. Hold on. Jerry Taylor wrote the book on Janeway. Literally, she wrote the book on Janeway and she reinforced that ideal and that history and even made mosaic canon because she could. The orb. Imagining an Abrams vs. DS9. I feel like that would be the arc of the first season, would be, what are the wormhole aliens? Are they aliens? Are they gods? You know, are they, they smoke powers? monsters? Are they smoke monsters? Is that them around the corner there? Why is there a polar bear on the station? <laughs> to the journey! Top 5 Voyager action sequences. Of course, I want you to do your Kate Mulgrew impression of her last words in the episode. <laughs> Time's up. That has to be your best one yet. Oh, thank you. Warp 5. Romulans on Enterprise. I think even in Kirshara, the the Romulans might be thinking, like, we need to infiltrate the Vulcans. We need to bring them back to our side so we can nip this in the bide and make sure that this growing alliance doesn't happen. Commentary, Trek stars. Nemetric Part 1, Trek. This is actually the one episode where I enjoy Neelix when he's being annoying. But then also, uh, he gets a little something-something with the Klingon ladies. <laughs> Melodic tricks. Because it is literally these two sips playing hide-and-seek in the nebula, but all the way through the music is, is, is there. It, it's, it's keeping you rooted to the, what's going on, and it's just a major and integral part of what is going on on the screen. Literary tricks. Bones chooses a, about being either a healer or a Starfleet officer. And he chooses in this situation to be a Starfleet officer. And it kind of... not easily. No, 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 no. Easily no. Oh, no, no, not at all. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You'll find them in a wide variety of places, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. You can also find us on Swell. You can find us on BlackBerry and also on Spreaker. And while you're over in iTunes, be sure to visit our new home in the iTunes store, where you'll find our dedicated artist page, where we're able to group and highlight our shows in different ways. You'll find all of our content there. We have, we're getting very close now to a thousand episodes here on Trek Film. So there's just a wealth of interviews and discussion waiting for you. And this is a great way to find things that you may not have found before. And Larry, in fact, we have a little bar there right now with behind the scenes with Larry Nemechek, various shows that you've been on. You honor me, Chris, with my own bar <laughs> that I can bar. stagger to whenever I want to. Right. 
<laughs> Boy, you sounded you sounded like a Dr. McCoy there a little bit. Oh, I did? Well, good. All right. <laughs> it's about damn time. <laughs> so, uh, so plenty of places for you to find the shows. You know, wherever you get your podcasts, chances are Trek of Him shows are there. So look us up. Find out what we're talking about. All right. And if you want to share your thoughts on the Romulan War or anything else that we talked about in news today, you can do that in a number of ways. You can go to our website at trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose the ready room, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website. If you go to the show page for this episode, look in the left sidebar, and you'll see a big item that says send us voicemail. Click that. All you need is your webcam's microphone to record, and you can upload it to us right there from the page. If forums are your thing, we do have forums on our website at trek.fm slash forums. You can hop over there, join in the discussion. And then in social media, we're on Twitter under username trek.fm. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And we have a new community on Google+. So check us out in all those places and join in the conversation. Now, Larry, when you're not, uh, you know, procuring that shipment of Romulan ale that you need. Hey, I only use it for medicinal purposes. <laughs> I know that's what you always say, but I know you've got some stashed away. Where yeah. can people find you if they want to chat with you more or find out what else you have going on? Well, you know, sometimes you just feel a little blue, Chris, and you uh, want some companionship. <laughs> No, people can find me, you know, at LarryNimichek.com, my Trekland trunk for our archival sales, uh, theconofwrath.com, the Geek Nation tours, my Larry, our Larry Nimichek LA to Vegas tour. And then, you know, at Larry Nimichek is a simple place on Twitter. And uh, Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook is the main Facebook page. Excellent. And also you've got, I mentioned FedCon in the news. We're talking about book covers, but you've got a few other oh, convention yeah, yeah. appearances Thanks. coming up. Don't yeah, you? this is, this is going to be a crazy, uh, continue my crazy year. Uh, FedCon in Germany, the end of, uh, May, June, and then Phoenix Comic Con, which is a huge show after that. Uh, and all of these conventions, um, I'll probably be doing some kind of a screening of Star Trek Continues, the Lolani show. Um, and then in June, uh, BayouCon in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, which has been very kind to me and having me back almost every year. And then the end of June on my hometown boys back in and girls back in Oklahoma City for SoonerCon. And then after that, I have a couple of days at uh, Comic-Con in San Diego because we go to the tour since Vegas Trek and San Diego are back-to-back weekends this year. We all survive <laughs> right. that. And yeah. the tour starts up after that, and and people can still jump in on the tour, as we heard, and and or do the one day. But uh, uh, that's coming. And then I can't announce it yet, but there is a fall convention that's very huge. I'm going to get to be a part of. I just can't say it yet, <laughs> and maybe a second one too. So the fall is still open, but no, I look. I've got a lot of those trips, and and looking forward to talking to everybody who's there and. Continues and stellar cartography and Con of Wrath and going to do my meetups for Con of Wrath at all those and um, you know just just follow along my Trekland blog and, and my Facebook page and see what's going on there and and the Trekland trunk has gotten busy again too while I was so busy so great yeah I've been seeing a lot of stuff, stuff go by on that as well yeah so so there it is Larry Nemechek he is the Jeffrey Combs of Star Trek conventions and coverage he is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish. <laughs> Jeff's a great guy. 
All right. Well, so go check out Larry and all those places. If you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I'm on a lot of different shows. Matthew Rushing and I do literary treks together where we talk Star Trek books and comics and interview authors. We also do The Orb together where we talk about Deep Space Nine. I also have Warp 5, which is about Enterprise, continuing mission about fan films, and both Alec and Tommy have been with me there on continuing mission. And there's also Matterstream, which is about uh, science and creative and social issues and things like that. And actually, Alec has been with me on there as well, along with Richard Hatch and talking about Axanar Mm -hmm. as well in the days before we had continuing mission, where we do that now. So uh, go catch those shows and see what we're talking about there. Before we let you go, we'd also like to remind you one more time about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. So go over to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, sign up, grab Web of the Romulans or anything else you want to grab, absolutely free. Give it a try at the end of the trial if you decide not to stick with Audible. There's nothing to lose because you do get to keep that book. That's yours, but you're going to love Audible. And by supporting them, you'll help us keep the ready room coming to you every week. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. All right, Larry, I'm going to wander down the corridor. Uh, Kirk is in there distracting the Romulan commander, and he asked me to steal the cloaking device because he thought it would just be a little bit easier to pull off. Oh, he did, did he? Yeah. Well, you know, after one last reminder to go over and support the Kickstarter for the Hollywood Sci-Fi Museum also, it's time to stick a Romulan Ale swizzle stick in it, Chris, because this ready room is done. 